0: another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. This is a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi everyone, I'm Emily,
1: the Community Outreach Coordinator at North Kingstown Free Library in North Kingstown, Rhode Island. Uh, I'm also the chair of the Programming Committee of Reading Across Rhode Island, which is why I'm here today, and my
2: pronouns are she, her. Hi, everybody. This is Amy Vanderweel. I'm the manager of the South Providence Library, which is one of the Providence Community Library branches in lovely South Providence. I'm the chair of Reading Across Rhode Island. So uh, I organize the committees. I make sure everybody is is doing the work that is supposed to be happening at any given point during the year. Gosh, I've been on Reading Across Rhode Island for probably six years now since I moved to Rhode Island. So um, it's a lot of work, but I love it. And my
0: pronouns are she, her, hers. Great. So welcome both of you to the show. Thank you for joining me. And as Emily already stated, a little bit later, you guys are going to talk about the Reading Across Island program and the book that you picked this year, which is Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, in You. But first, let's talk about what you guys have been reading. So I usually try and have like a nonfiction and a fiction going.
2: I think that is true of like A lot of librarians and lifelong readers. My nonfiction right now, I run this book group with Providence Streets Coalition called the Mobility Justice Book Group. So it's like the intersection of mobility rights and mobility activism. So like pedestrian rights um, and race and social justice. So right now I've been reading Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. It is a very dense book, but it's all about the, the decisions that we make when we are developing infrastructure in cities, how they contribute to racial injustice. Um, it's fascinating again, pretty dense. So it's been kind of a slog to get through. Um, but we'll be discussing that at our next book club next week. But my more kind of fun one that I've been reading, I finally, finally picked up children of blood and bone by Tommy mm-hmm. and Amy. good grief. Like what has taken me so long here? It's been on my TBR list forever. And then just before the holidays, I was like, okay, I just need to, I need something fun. I need something that's just I don't know. It's going to suck me in and it's going to take me two days to read 500 pages. Like, yes. So good. And they're making it into a Netflix TV series apparently. Yes. Um, So that was like a great uh, give me a break read for Reading Across Rhode Island. We're like just about to start all of the bulk of our reading for the 2022 program, which is freaking me out a little bit. But this is when I like start to have to actually like work at the reading that I'm doing. So this was my kind of fun. Yay, I get to read
0: something I've been wanting to read. Um, before I actually have to start the reading Crossroad Island work. Amy, you mentioned the color of law. That's been on my to read list for a while because I actually heard the author on an episode of Just Between Us. And it blew my mind because I really didn't even know about redlining being a thing Mm -hmm. until I listened to that episode. And they were like, not only is redlining a thing, it's like, here's all the laws that (laughs) were made to facilitate it and make it happen and it was just like so I'm interested to eventually read the book and and get the tale but just listening to the author talk about all of it I was like Yeah, blown away. Totally. It is such, it's the sort of book that really just like makes
2: it so clear what systemic racism looks like, what it actually means for the policies that we're putting into place, for the decisions that we make about where we're spending our money and who we're spending our money on. Um, I think it's easy for us to, you know, talk about systemic racism and think like, oh, well, in my personal day to day interactions, I, I don't do that. I don't treat anyone differently. But this sort of book really does put it into perspective and really make it concrete that like, here is a, a real physical law that has
0: been put into place that is directly contributing to um, how we treat different communities and cities. I don't know how much the author gets into it in the book, but I remember in the interview, they also talked about how there was like, there is an easy and clear solution to undo what we did. Like, it's clear people who study this and study law there is a clear roadmap to fix it. It's just whether the political systems that are in place right now are willing to do that work to fix it.
2: Especially the last few years in reading across Rhode Island, um, Two years ago, we chose What the Eyes Don't See by Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha, which was about the Flint water crisis. And so much of that was both about like public health, but also about how like redlining had contributed in Flint to creating these public health emergencies and situations. Um, and even with Rising, which is what we chose last year by Elizabeth Rush about uh, the climate crisis, so much of this, it, it's just becoming clearer and clearer that we know what we need to do. We know how to fix all of this. It's just a matter of like, Finding the political will to do it and to make those choices and to spend our money in those places. So let's find the will. Twenty twenty one. So Emily, what have you been
1: reading? reading? So I am um, much less scholarly than Amy is about uh, what what I'm reading and how I read. So I <clears throat> I listen to audiobooks. That's my primary way to absorb books, um, with the exception of because I will share. Uh, I'm reading Solutions and Other Problems, which is the second book from Allie Brosh that was long anticipated. So she came out with her book based on her blog, Hyperbole and a Half, uh, many years ago. And it was teased right after that, that she was going to put out the second book. And I had had this book on hold at the library, just like the the title, because it didn't come into existence yet, right? For like over two years. And They kept pushing back it, pushing back, and and you learn a little bit more about why that happened. She had a lot of family issues um, that came up, but it's uh, a graphic memoir sort of. Uh, But it's she's just really funny, Uh, so that's probably like the best thing that I've read recently. Uh, And then I'm listening to Stamped right now, which is the. Read Across Rhode Island title for this year. And my two most recent audiobooks that I listened to that I really loved were If I Never Met You, which is a little British rom-com about a a woman who's in her mid-30s. She's a lawyer in London. And she finds out that her boyfriend of 18 years, who they were like going to try to have a baby, uh, but they weren't going to get married. They like had this whole life together. He breaks up with her. Uh, and come to find out that he very shortly after that got somebody else pregnant. So it's sort of her journey to the other side of that. And she falls in love with somebody that she's working with. It's beautiful. If you like romance, which I do. Uh, And the other one (laughs) that I read recently was um, Upright Women Wanted, which is by Sarah Gailey. And it's a historical fiction about sort of wearing librarians back sort of in prairie times. Uh, and so this young girl sort of runs away to be a librarian. And the way it works is they sort of like go from town to town with their approved materials. Um, but they all have a secret, uh, which makes it phenomenal. And uh, she really finds herself and her people among the traveling librarians.
2: I love a traveling librarian. Did you read the,
1: the other one about the blue woman who's a librarian no
2: <laughs> no not a clue what you're talking about but it sounds fascinating i just when i think of traveling librarians i think of like the biblioburrows, right like the the donkeys that they used to take around with like books on their backs i just like the idea of a biblioboro
1: it's the the book
2: of trouble
1: from crete is the one but she has bluish skin which basically just like there's very little pigment in her skin and she and her father both have it uh and so they have to basically hide from society but she decides that instead of hiding, she's going to become a librarian because everybody accepts the librarians. And so that's her sort of mission in life. Pretty
0: beautiful. Well, great picks if you want to read about librarians. Yep. And uh, it's funny that you mentioned pollution and other problems because Martha, who's the librarian at Auburn, mentioned it last week on the podcast. So here's your two librarian stamp of approval call back to like one of the first episodes, not quite a three librarian stamp of approval, but a two librarian stamp of approval. And I probably will pick it up soon once I'm done with board stuff, because I love graphic memoirs um, and just graphic novels in general, but specifically a graphic memoirs. So I just think it's such a interesting format for people to tell their life stories. It's such like an accessible format, format for people to tell their life stories i feel like a lot like a lot of times if you tell people like oh i read this memoir everyone's like oh boring memoirs um i don't know that's how i feel about
1: for sure uh
0: but if you're like oh i read this like graphic novel that was about this person's life and uh it was like super interesting and yeah so i'll have to get on that one now because i do love a good graphic memoir
1: i would start with hyperbole and a half though okay Because it makes a lot of connections to some of her past stories. Because it's also, I mean, it was a blog, but it was a webcomic blog. So they're like comics in essay form, right? Like it's a memoir in essay form through the comic medium.
0: So Great. Um, So besides books, have you guys been watching anything interesting to entertain yourself? Amy, you seem excited. Do you want to jump in? I've been watching so much TV. I think I'm not
2: alone in this, especially if judging from like the Breeding Across Rhode Island members that I have worked with this last year. It's been really hard to read this year. Just hard to kind of sink into anything that feels significant. Um, So, yes, I have been watching a lot of TV. I think probably like much of the Western world, I rewatched the West Wing like this fall before the election, which is always a stabilizing force when it comes to election season. And to kind of offset that, I also watched The Thick of It, which is uh, it's by Armando Iannucci, who did V. It's just like a very crass, but I think very realistic Um view of american politics so it's they're nice balances to one another the west wing and Veep, or the thick of it um the thick of it is actually about the british parliament though so british politics and i found it very comforting to watch the british uh one and and feel like oh maybe we're not as dysfunctional as we thought we were we I are, mean,
1: at least we're not alone
2: <laughs> yeah exactly exactly like okay so maybe this is how it's supposed to go <laughs> it doesn't seem like that, but maybe it is. Um, so that is fabulous. And it, um, it was probably the early two thousands. It's all on Hulu. I think there are only like 20, 21 episodes and they're all pretty short, but they are phenomenal. Um, hilarious put on captions because it'll ruin the joke for you, but also bank on like not being able to catch half of the jokes because they're like about British pop culture in the early two thousands. So yeah, no judgment if you laugh at something that you don't recognize because I just like, hahaed my way through the entire series and probably didn't understand actually half of the jokes. Um, and then what I've been binge watching? Oh my gosh, this was a rewatch too. This is a feel good rewatch called Please Like Me. Um, it was created by Josh Thomas. It's Australian, but it is the most heartwarming fun depiction of like a group it's like a young coming of age uh college age kids um in australia just like learning about one another and being friends with one another it's hilarious and it's like the most kind of sensitive and real depiction of mental health um and how it how it is handled in australia so i I know i keep bringing up that it's in australia um (laughs) Part of that is, is the, uh, the pace is definitely not something that I'm used to. Like the first season, the pace is a little bit weird and a little bit slow and it's hard to kind of get into the show. But once you make it through the first season, I hate when people say this, by the way, but once you make it through the first, season, like, it is just beautiful and comforting and funny. And I 100% recommend it to everybody.
0: Those all sound like great picks. And yeah, I feel like just sometimes even seeing in the news, like the whole Brexit thing, kind of. I was like, yeah, no, Br- Britain has no idea how to government either, and that makes me feel a little bit better. It's like when you check in on your ex, and it's like, ah, oh, not doing great, and I, and that makes me feel okay. Isn't that not nice? Maybe we shouldn't keep that in the edit. Uh, but yeah, I-
1: I depends on whether your ex listens to the show, Taylor.
0: But what about you, Emily? What have you been watching? Uh so.
1: This is gonna go right along with my book choices because clearly I can't get enough. But I just finished watching *The Librarians*, which is also <laughs> <laughs> clearly I have a sickness. If you don't wait, know- Emily, are you a librarian? I I might have, I have no idea. Oh my gosh! Librarian. So the show is about the library, this institution that exists in immortality, and it's watched over by the librarian, which. is... In the show, there's multiples, but in history, there's only been one. And they are the only ones who can access it. And it's got time travel because they go to different areas in the world and they sort of solve mysteries and collect artifacts to save them because there's magic in the world. And so they're kind of keeping magic from getting into the wrong hands uh, and making sure that magic is sort of acting appropriately through the world. Uh, So it's super good. It's, It's just really well done. And... I really like time travel, as well as, obviously, like the collection of materials. (laughs) But the other shows that I'm watching are much more feel-good. My fiancé and I decided to do some throwbacks. So we've been watching Family Matters and Doogie Howser, which I will say he was the one who chose Doogie Howser. And I had heard references to Doogie Howser in the past, but I'd never actually known anything about what that meant. It's a weird show. The premise of a 16-year-old doctor just doesn't always jive with me, but it's nice because I think it's hard for me to watch shows that are made today and think about the production piece of it. So my fiance also works in TV and film, so I know the sort of like back end and how close they all get to each other throughout the day. So thinking about like things that are produced in 2020 doesn't give me great feelings. So if I can just watch old shows, then it's like, that's fine. Cause they already did that. So I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Although I did watch the new British Bake off that they did in 2020. And that was
2: beautiful
1: as well.
0: Naturally. Keeping us all grounded here. Yep. I still haven't watched any of it. I feel like I'm the only you person on that's playing like- it
1: Baking and/or food and people that are nice to each other.
0: I mean, I like food. I like consuming baked goods, but I don't always enjoy the journey. I've enjoyed the journey more now that my my boyfriend is like, if you bake cookies, I will clean up after all of it, and I'm like sold. Love that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So teamwork. Mm-hmm. Um, so
2: yeah, this is what I tell people about Great British Bake Off. The same thing that I tell them about Friday Night Lights. Like, it is not about football. You don't have to like football to, like, love this thing. Great British Bake Off for me, not at all about the baking. I don't care about the baking. It is just the most, like, comfort food show ever. I, I It's hard to compare it to anything except for maybe, like, a cozy mystery. Like, mm-hmm. it just is so comforting, and it makes you have faith in the world, and you are rooting for these people that you don't know, and they're all rooting for one another, and they're competing For nothing. They don't win anything. They win a pie plate.
1: (laughs) I couldn't believe when I learned that there was no prize. Although I think that sometimes the prize is the piece that makes people be so aggressive towards each other. And I think also the conditions under which American TV shows put people like in reality shows definitely cultivates a lot of that negative energy and animosity between people. Um, but literally the fact that these people are just like, I like to bake. I'll go on TV and bake with other people and try to get better. And in the end, if I win, like kudos to me and I had fun and met all these new people and I got this. Pie.
2: Totally. And at the end, this is my, favorite part of the entire thing is they do like a whole recap of what has happened between the show finishing and the show airing and it's just like a these two people are best friends now these guys (gasps) hang out at the pub every once in a while this one now bakes for his grandma like these such genuine like heartfelt kindnesses from these people who you've fallen in love with it's so touching Plus, every time somebody gets kicked off,
1: they're like, but I made some wonderful lifelong friends. And I'm like, can (laughs) I be on the British Baking Show? Because I'd love to make some lifelong friends.
0: (laughs) Maybe I will have to give it a try then. What you guys are describing sounds very different American baking competitions. Mm. But I know like a lot of the baking competitions I see on Food Network, I'm like, I really don't have interest in watching this. Because like, especially the kids. The kids I like feel bad because the kids like are under so much pressure like even it's a lot of times it's pressure they put themselves under because they want to win but these kids are like so stressed and they're like oh no my whole thing went wrong and I have to start over and the kids are so stressed and I'm like why are we making 11 year olds go through this. Seriously, it is a little bit (laughs) eyebrow raising, but I think uh, Great British
2: Bake Off, at least like something goes wrong and seven people who are like mid-bake all jump in to help this one person. Like That thing has gone wrong. What can I do for you? Like, how can I help you get through this? Or like, oh, yeah, I see you threw that in the trash. One of the judges will say like, oh, yeah, you threw that in the trash. That wasn't a great idea. (laughs) Like, it's so... But not harsh. It's like a level lower competition wise, which I really appreciate. I don't need any
0: cutthroat food in my life. Yep. All right. Well, you guys might have changed my mind about the Great British Bake Off. Uh, a lot of people have mentioned it when they came on the show, and every time I'm just like, mm-hmm, yep. So, <laughs> I, I I might actually do it now. You don't have to start at the very
2: beginning because it took them a couple of years to get there i would say start with the paul breadline season which i can now not remember which season that is um but it's like solid you like all the people there are some really incredible things that they make and very lovely
0: and we'll return to the show after a quick break Udemy is an online learning platform for adults who want to improve work-related skills or further develop a personal interest. Users can search through more than 4,000 continuously updated on-demand video courses across 75 categories, including business, technology, design, and more. All courses are taught by world-class instructors and offer a tailor-made learning experience for those who want to learn new technologies and skills to stay competitive in the changing workforce. All you need to get started is your library card and a Google or Microsoft account. You can find more information about how to sign up for Udemy at cranstonlibrary.org by clicking the link that says online resources you can use now. Get ready to dance. Miss Martha invites families to join her on Zoom for a music and movement storytime dance party. This interactive program will include children's music, singing songs, and dancing, of course. The parties will be Saturdays at 2.30 p.m. on January 23rd, February 20th, and March 20th. Please register to receive the Zoom link for this program. The link to register can be found on our event calendar at cranstonlibrary.org. So without further ado, let's talk about reading across Rhode Island. So for anyone who doesn't know about reading across Rhode Island, what is reading across Rhode Island all about? Yeah, of course. So reading across Rhode Island is Rhode Island's one book,
2: one state program, um, which just means that we choose one title every single year for the state to organize around. So that includes book clubs, it includes libraries, it includes educators, um, Bookstores, businesses, uh, something that hopefully we can create a a common conversation around, Um, especially the last couple of years, we've been really interested in expanding that to as many different entities and organizations as possible. Um, We've done a really, in my opinion, we've done a really good job of getting city and state entities and offices involved. But the goal is to create a conversation around a shared title. So uh, we say that it's an adult program, but really what that means is everything from like middle school, high school, and up. So we're interested in intergenerational programming um, and how to kind of create and support those programs. It's run through the Rhode Island Center for the Book. Every state has a Center for the Book associated with the Library of Congress. Um, And this is kind of one of the Rhode Island Center for the Books. One of our flagship programs is reading across Rhode Island. We do a lot of work. (laughs) This is this is our 16th year, I think. Um, I've been chair now for three years. It used to be that it was just one committee that did like weeded through all of the nominations, read all of the books, um, did all of the discussion, and then did all of the programming. And that became very unwieldy when you have 40 people trying to do all of that all year long, and especially when you have 40 people trying to read 60 nominations over the course of two months. Um, it, it got a little tough, a little hairy there. Um, so we just, I guess this is our third year doing it or our fourth year doing it. We split into three committees. We have the nominations committee, which is a group of less than 15. Um, we're librarians, booksellers, teachers. We kind of take that initial nominations list and weed it down to something a little bit more manageable. So we kind of create a finalist list. Um, And that's the work that we're going to be starting in a couple of weeks. So we take nominations from the public and from librarians. So if you have something that you read this last year that you loved and you think it would make a great statewide conversation, you can email me and I'll put it on the list. And then we have the selection committee, which reads that final. And it really is the makeup of like the bigger committee. Anybody on the smaller committees can be a part of the selection committee. Over the course of the summer, we read the finalists, we discuss the finalists, and then we vote at the end of the summer, early fall. And then where Emily comes in, Angel Programming, if I could crown you, I would. Um, She is the chair of the programming committee. So programming, is the the committee is, uh, the makeup is is a little bit different um, because it really is taking whatever been selected um, and turning that into vibrant and accessible programming throughout the state. Um, And Emily can talk a little bit more about what that programming actually looks like.
1: Yeah. So the programming committee is responsible for (laughs) helping the Center for the Book sort of rally around the main flagship programs. That's the kickoff in January and the author event in April. So, I've been on the programming committee now for two years. This is my second year. And in 2020, we are at late 2019, we really had big goals for 2020 um, that we're, we're slowly meeting and trying to keep that hype coming through this coming year in developing accessible programming and um, resource guides for people interacting with the book. So, if you have a book club just with your friends or if you're in a workplace and you want to have a workplace book club or maybe you just want to try it out do it just with the one reading Crossroad island book you want to come together with some uh colleagues or friends uh we have book kits so book clubs in a bag uh that comes with a set of books and a bunch of resources for how to talk about the book how to think about the book in terms of um we include like discussion guides from the publishers, and information about the authors. And then we put together last year a large list of programming that librarians specifically could do. So reaching out to other organizations who are working within the theme. So last year with Rising, it was climate change this Um, with Stamps being anti-racism and, you know, what organizations can people connect with? So after you read the book, after you discuss the book, what can you do next to really be a part of what's happening around these themes so that you can get more involved, uh, especially if something strikes your fancy? And that's where we really want to push all of our efforts uh, to help people connect on a more lifelong journey with the books and the themes that we're coming up with.
2: And this is another thing that Kate Lentz, who's the director of the Center for the Book and I have been kind of talking about and keeping in our heads, is the book-to-action model. Um, So finding a book that really speaks to our communities, speaks to where we are, but also something that we can facilitate action from the groups participating in these conversations. And that is the reason why we like to expand as much as possible, is get as many different people involved as possible um, so that we can make change based on the book that we choose. I also think that the last four years, five years, we have chosen those book-to-action books. So we we did Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson five years ago, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, um, What the Eyes Don't See by Dr. Monahan. Tisha um, Rising by Elizabeth Rush, and I feel like I've seen so much more energy and enthusiasm about those books that drive people to actually make a change in their own life, to do some more learning outside of the book. You know, we always provide these resource guides as well, um, both to educators who want to teach it, but also to you know, book clubs or to offices. And and I I feel like those have become so much more valuable. And, you know, it's not just a set of book club questions, which are great and useful for book clubs, but it's here are the ways that you can actually take what we're reading and discussing and, and move in your own life and move people in your life as well. So I think that it has been successful so far, and I'm really hoping that it's successful again this year. I think we've got incredible material to work with and to to emphasize and get out there.
1: Also with being digital. So in some ways being digital is, is limiting and This year, we've got some members on the committee that are really running with the digital aspect. So we've partnered with RIPBS, and they're going to help facilitate uh, four nights in February um, to do an educators series, which isn't just for educators. It can be for parents, students, educators, uh, just general public uh, to understand and talk about Stamped around different subjects.
2: It's called Stamped Evenings for Educators and Community. So it's like stamped for education, stamped in the classroom, stamped in the community, but it is, it's, uh, it's less focused. So it actually started um, with one of our incredible committee members, Maureen Nagel, who's a teacher of Moses Brown. Um, she has been historically the person who puts together our education guide um, and like aligns things to Common Core um, that we then can give out to teachers so that we can make it as easy as possible for them to get the book into the classroom. So this year, we chose Stamped and are so excited about it. There are already so many different education resource guides and curriculum guides out there in the world. Um, And so Maureen really took the idea of something, not just here is a physical curriculum guide, take it to your principal and get this into your classroom, but here are a series of, of programs where we can actually come together as teachers, we can come together as a community and talk about what it actually looks like to teach this in our classroom. One of the reasons that we... We're really interested in Stamped is because this history is not taught in classrooms and history curriculum right now. And I I don't think that that's a unique thing to say at all. I think that's kind of been everywhere. But the the purpose of the programs are really to help facilitate those discussions in classrooms um, beyond just, here's one piece of the book that is Common Core aligned, good luck. Or like, here's an essay that you can write about this, but to actually create a movement within a classroom. Yeah, so you said that
1: those are going to air on PBS? RIPBS will be facilitating them, I think, via Zoom. Oh, okay. So people can register for them and attend live, and there'll be some breakout sessions and different things, but... Partnering with RIPBS means that we can reach so many more people than any one individual organization that we have, like any of the libraries or even Center for the Book. RIPBS can have like 10,000 people. So anybody that wants to go, even to just hear about what's being talked about in getting these books into the classroom, how it aligns with Common Core and what we can be talking about and teaching in those classrooms should definitely sign up and attend. And so
0: you said that's in
1: February? The 2nd, the 9th, and the 23rd of February.
2: Okay.
0: So if any of those sound interesting to our listeners, we'll provide more detailed information in the show notes about that. Um, Yeah, I think all of those would be
2: great for librarians, too. Something else that we're doing for librarians is that we are going to do an OLIS webinar on uh, February 24th in the morning just to kind of make it put all of our resources and information in one place. So if you're interested in um, getting a book club for a local office who wants to read the book as an office, um, if you want the book club in a bag for running a club at your library, so information about how we can do all of that, as well as kind of updates on programs that
0: we're still working on or updates on, you know,
2: the kickoff. So I
0: believe this episode will go out and the kickoff will already have happened. Yes-ish. Yes-ish. Okay. Yes.
2: So we are having two kickoffs this year. Um, The first is at Fundafest, which is run by the Rhode Island Black Storytellers. We choose an honorary chair every year for the program. This year, our chair is Valerie Tutson, who um, is in charge of the Rhode Island Black Storytellers, and she is fabulous. Um, But she runs Fundafest, or is one of the folks who runs Fundafest. So they have invited us to uh, have kind of an hour-long kickoff. The Fundafest is really aimed more at families and the general public. Um, so on Saturday, January 23rd at 12 p.m., this will not have aired yet. But we'll be doing a <laughs> more uh, like family-friendly kickoff. So it's going to be Barry from Living Literature. uh doing like a little reader's theater style of the book. And then me and Charlene Williams, who's also on the programming committee, talking about the book a little bit and about um, more public facing programs. And then we're doing a second kickoff with the Pell Center at Salve Regina. So the Pell Center is actually the home of the Rhode Island Center for the book. That's where the offices are. And that one is actually taking place on Tuesday. So if you're listening today, <laughs> yes, Okay. Tonight. (laughs) Um, And that's going to be a panel with Jim Ludis, who is the director of the Pell Center. Um, He is a brilliant man and a very good moderator. Uh, And he actually runs the Rhode Island PBS Story in the Public Square. If you've ever seen that PBS series, it's fabulous. So he's going to be moderating a panel with Valerie Tutson and Maureen Nagel, who I mentioned before, the education coordinator. If you're interested in hearing more about it, that one is less aimed at just the general public and more aimed at educators, librarians, different organizations and institutions who are looking to get involved on a
0: bigger scale. All right. Awesome. So if people want to get involved in any of those kickoffs? Well, one of them will have already passed, but the <laughs> other kickoff um, and... Stuff happening soon for me across Rhode Island. Those are some options. And then your big author event is in
2: April. April 8th. And we'll be welcoming Jason Reynolds. It should be thrilling. Um, He's a wonderful speaker. He's a really good moderator. I would definitely watch a couple of YouTube videos with him. Or if you have not
1: yet read the book, you should listen to the audiobook, which is read by Jason Reynolds. And it feels like he is telling you what he wrote his book about less than reading his book off of the page. It's phenomenal.
0: Awesome. I'm always looking for good audio book recommendations on the show because I feel like as a podcast, people are very audio inclined people who listen to podcasts for the most part. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm always glad when people can say like, yes, the audio version of this book was like worth it versus when you just read it. And so then no one has insight on that. Right. Um, is there anything else you want anyone to know about Reading Across Rhode Island before we wrap up?
2: I want to do a couple little plugs for some Reading Across Rhode Island programs. Yes. So how we chose stamps this year, we came into the summer with a full list of nominations. I think there were 45 on the list. We slowly started making our way through them. Um, when the murder of George Floyd happened, we really took a a hard look at the list and and felt like we, as a public organization, as a group of people with a voice and power in this world, needed to do something. And so we made the really conscious effort that this year, the book that we were going to focus on was a book that um, talks about and displays Black life. So not just um, the injustice and oppression that everyday black folks have to deal with but also the joy and the love and the life success. Um, so we narrowed it down to five books and then we decided that we were going to pick one book to be our main reading across Rhode Island title. And then we also chose three companion reads. So stamped was our main title that we chose. That one really felt kind of like a no brainer. Once we had made that decision that that's what we were going to be focusing on. Um, it is so accessible, so widely loved, um, And it seemed like kind of the perfect way to support teachers during the pandemic. We had talked to teachers who um, were already planning on trying to work it into their curriculum. So having kind of the support of the Center for the Book, being able to provide some book sets to teachers or to provide those extra educational resources, or programming um, felt like, yeah, like a no brainer. That was something that we needed to do. But then we chose three um, fiction companion reads because we know a lot of our um our base is here for the book club they want to have the book discussion and they want to read a piece of fiction not always that's an overgeneralization but here for the book club Um, so our first companion read is the vanishing half by brit bennett Um, second is riot baby by tochi onyabuchi and the third was pet by quakey Amazi. so we've really lucky. We are still like figuring out the best way to kind of showcase those companion reads. Um, but one thing we do have coming up is we actually have Tochi, uh, we have a program happening with Tochi Onyabuchi who wrote Riot Baby, um, on February 10th. It's part of the PCL Reads program. Um, it's free and open to the public, but if you want to come in hear Tochi talk about Riot Baby, um, he's going to be in conversation with Jonathan Pitts Wiley. Who is um, a teacher at Moses Brown and involved with the Mixed Magic Theater in Pawtucket? That should be a fascinating conversation. So, I would say that general ideas about the books: Vanishing Half is more realistic fiction, um, very popular. I'm sure you have seen it if you have been to a library or a bookstore in the last six months. Riot Baby is a little bit more sci-fi. It that one is actually a very interesting audiobook. It's only about maybe a little over 200 pages um but it's definitely something that i would say listen to or sit down and read in one or two sittings um there's a little bit of time hopping that happens um so i found that when i took too long to read it i kind of lost the thread a little bit but it's so fascinating and powerful part of reading across the island for me is i want a book that like moves me i want to cry or i want to not be able to stop thinking about it for a week or like i want it to sit in my stomach for a little while And Right Baby is absolutely something that, I mean, I read it now a year ago, and I'm still, like, kind of reeling from it a little bit. So fascinating. Um, But Tochi will be at PCL, not at PCL, on PCL Zoom, uh, February 10th. And then the third one is Pet by and Amazey, which is uh, technically a middle-grade novel and is also fascinating. And gut-wrenching. And gut-wrenching. It's kind of a... It is a fantasy, but it's is—it's kind of based in a world where they've gotten rid of all of the monsters. So they've gotten rid of um, unjust police forces. They've gotten rid of racial oppression, um, but about how those monsters can so easily creep into the world that we think that we have solved everything and how to keep kind of fighting that fight and recognizing injustice when we see it. And that one is beautiful. That one, too... The Reading Across Rhode Island Committee is like a very varied group of people like all over the place in terms of age, class. And that was one that I knew we had to kind of send through as a companion read because so many different people came back to me and said, wow, that was incredible. People who don't generally agree on which books should be passed on or which books should be moved on. And that's I kind of love that. Like I love the unexpected oh, this is a real winner. This was kind of a risk to keep on this list or to send to this person, but but it feels pretty fruitful and exciting to see a book connect with people that you don't think they're going to connect with. All that to say, Tochi at PCL, <laughs> February 10th. <laughs> and
0: then for people to check out all three of those books and keep their eye mm-hmm. out for more programming related yeah. to those companion books as well. Um, so if people want to reach out to you for nominations for 2022, or because they'd like to get involved with the read across Rhode Island, they can do that. How they can email me. Um, and I would spell out my
2: email, except my last name has like 17 E's in it. And it just is a, a nightmare to like tell
0: someone over the phone. Um, so can, I don't mind if we put that in my, uh, in the show notes. Okay. Contact information for Amy and read across Rhode Island will be in the show notes. Um, so we wrap up the show with a segment called the last chapter where we discuss a bookish or library related question uh, and we just talk about it for a little bit no definitive answers on the internet need to be given here so this week uh, my question for both of you is what author alive or dead would you like to meet and why Mm -hmm. how many hours I have to think about that (laughs) I know, I realized I asked this question, and I don't even know what my answer would be either, so. And of course, I'm surrounded by books, like,
2: trying to get an idea, and then I think, no, I don't want to meet them.
1: Hmm. This is, like, when people ask me what my favorite book is, and I always feel like that's not a fair question to all <laughs> of the other books. Like, if I choose one, what about the rest of them?
2: I think, um, so she is, mm, I mean, she is an author, but she's, first and foremost, a Lutheran minister. (laughs) Her name is Nadia Bolts Weber. Um, She has a podcast and has written a couple of incredible books about like white evangelicalism, especially in our current political era, um, how it intersects with conservatism. She's fascinating. She's covered in tattoos, like face full of piercings um, and has some really great things to say She's very calming. I would absolutely recommend her podcast. And she talks to other pastors, but she also talks to like celebrities. Um, And it's a very comforting. It's like listening just to a very smart and empathetic person um, exploring the
1: world. My author would be Julie Murphy. Uh, She is a young adult and getting into sort of branching out she's done a middle grade book now and she's she's a fat author which is super important to me as a plus person but also just in general there's not a lot of fat representation of characters in books uh especially at those younger grades and sort of just normalizing that so i'm sure that people have heard of dumpling it was made into a netflix uh Movie and the movie was good, but I gotta say that, like, I walked away from that movie and I cried because I knew the book. But if I hadn't known the book previously, I don't think the movie was that good. So, um, definitely read the book Dumpling, and she's got some spin offs for some of the other characters. But she just seems like the coolest person I could ever hope to be best friends with and if she happens to listen to this podcast and she wants to hang out with <laughs> me anytime, uh she can definitely do that. I have gotten a postcard from her. So like she's done in the past postcards like Christmas card postcards for librarians and I definitely have gotten on that. So I have it like in my shrine of of things on the side of my desk at work. So she's definitely my author.
2: Yes and she loves Dolly Parton. And
1: she loves Dolly Parton, who is also phenomenal. Yes. And I'd like, also, can I meet Dolly Parton? If Julie Murphy and Dolly Parton and I could all just, like, go have dinner together, that would probably be perfect.
0: But also, like, if Julie Murphy is listening to this podcast, please come on the podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, only if Taylor then also invites Emily, who will be speechless the entire time, but it's fine, that would be great.
0: I thought of mine... Um, which is probably like a very common answer, but again, it's still the only one that I can think of right now. Is I would love to meet my Angelou. Mm. It, sh- she she passed away fairly recently, and so when she did, I kind of had that moment of like, oh, I'll never have an opportunity to attend anything that she's at, uh, speaking or whatever. Because I think she just has an in- just has had an incredible life journey. She just seems like such a wise person. Filled with just like so much knowledge about the world and living, and I'd love to pick her brain and her to like give me life advice. But yeah, so that's mine. That's that's my like somewhat cop out answer because I'm sure that's a lot of people's answer. My other cop out answer would have been Shakespeare. I'm sure that it would be very different meeting yep. the man from reading the stuff. Like, he probably would have been like, what? You all think that this is high literature? This is just sword fights and genital jokes. <laughs> uh, okay. I get
1: the sense that Shakespeare was sort of like, be too busy for you. That's, <laughs> that's my interpretation of like, I don't know, very artsy playwright who
2: he, was he wrote hassling, everything
1: for sure. like at the last second. I'm sure he's just like, what do you want? Like, what do you want? Go away. I just have to do <laughs>
0: I imagine it very much how Doctor Who imagined him on the episode where they go back in time and they meet him of like, I wrote the last page. Here it is. We're (laughs) rehearsing the plan and you all know the ending now. (laughs) Isn't that great? So thank you both for joining me for this wonderful conversation. Uh, And thank you everyone for listening if you want to share any of your thoughts about the show of any of your ideas for the show you can do that by sending us an email at downtime at and give us a rate and review if you feel like it helps people find the show so thank you again for listening and this was another episode of downtime Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Martha Boxenbaum, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza, and our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts, Connect with CPL on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime. (laughs)
1: Like,
0: do they have a new girlfriend yet? No? Okay, great. (laughs)